Good morning, Crossroads. It is good to see everyone here in our Loveland Auditorium, out in our atrium, and if you are joining us online, you're a big part of Crossroads, and we're glad that you're with us today. Uh, it is my honor to be finishing our January series. The series is called Fresh, and we have been talking about the power of a good beginning and the gratitude we have in January that God gives new beginnings all the time. We've talked about fresh faith and fresh dreams. This weekend, I'm talking about fresh blessings. And before I get into that topic from the very last chapter of the book of Philippians, I have a photo I want to share, and then I have a modern day story to tell. I was sorting through photos last week looking for a particular one that I never found, but I did run across this little gem. Can you see the fish? Yeah, that's me and my husband Dave. We just came off the Wood River in northern Wyoming after a blessed day. And what does this have to do with my topic today? Not a whole lot. I had determined that no matter what subject I was given this weekend, I was going to show that photo. Because uh, my colleague Dennis Anderson is a master fly fisherman, and uh, I'm not, but I am a master grasshopper fisherwoman. I caught my fish on that stringer with grasshoppers that I grabbed with my bare hands on the shore of the Wood River. And uh, Dennis isn't in the room, but I did ask him last night if he can tie a grasshopper. He said, yes. I said, are you afraid of grasshoppers, real ones? But uh, he doesn't know where that hole is, so uh, those fish are ours for the time. Um, but one summer, here's my, here's my modern-day story that does have to do with my talk. One summer, there was a young intern, and his name was Jim, and he was studying to be a chaplain. He was working at a retirement home, and this was an easy job because these residents were in pretty good health, and they didn't need full-time care. They loved living together. It was like a college dormitory full of gray hair and wisdom, and every day was great. It started with a chapel service, and then he spent time uh, having tea and eating cookies and shooting pool and listening to stories about grandchildren and children, not a bad way to spend the summer. Then occasionally someone would want a visit from the chaplain. One day the director handed him a slip and said, Ben in room 116 wants to talk to you. Good luck with this one. And Jim thought, how hard could this be? So he knocks on Ben's door and this serious voice directed him, come in young man. So Jim goes in and he sees Ben sitting there. He's in a rocking chair. He's wearing an expensive blue cardigan. He has an expensive barber type styled up haircut. He's, he's got a trimmed beard and he's very serious looking and severe. And he looks like someone that you wouldn't cross. He directed Ben to sit, uh, Jim to sit down and he sat down and then he engaged him in a conversation about world religions and philosophy. And Jim thought, I wonder if he just wants to impress me or if he's testing my intelligence. And then about a half an hour later, Ben abruptly ended the conversation and said, our time's up and I know you have a busy day. I'll see you another time. And this went on for six days. And then on the seventh day, Jim discovered Ben's intention. Ben wanted someone to confess to. And he didn't just want to confess to one big sin in life or a number of bad offenses. He wanted to confess to having lived a bad life. 
And the interesting thing is that by many people's standards, he lived a good life. He was born in 1910. He made a million dollars by 1935. And he says that by the age of 45, he was the richest man in the state. And politicians wanted to be his friend. He said, I lied, I cheated, and I stole. My motto is simple, take everything you can from whomever you can. And I had power over people too. 2,000 employees, everyone either looked up to me or they were afraid of me. I had three wives. Each one divorced me either because of neglect or because of an affair. And I have one daughter now in her 40s and she doesn't speak to me. And Jim was stunned. He couldn't believe looking at this grandfatherly figure that one person would go through life making those kinds of selfish mistakes through the entire lifetime and never turn a corner or make a friend. And Ben said, I suppose that you could say I ruined my life because I have nothing. I sit here every day waiting to die. I only have bad memories. I cared about no one in life. No one cares about me. And you, young man, are all I have. Ben's story is extreme. It's a story of extreme selfishness and blindness and emptiness of take and take and arriving at the end of life with nothing. And this is the opposite of the life of blessings that we're going to talk about today. We're going to look at the Apostle Paul's description of the blessed life. And then we're going to discover how he created this life and how we can too. By the way, this is the last passage of the last chapter of the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. I'll read, and you can follow along on the screen or in your program notes or on your notes in the YouVersion app. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but I had no opportunity to show it. Not that I'm referring to being in need. For I've learned to be content with whatever I have, and I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret to being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In any case, it was kind of you to share in my distress. You Philippians indeed know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs more than once. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that accumulates to your account. I have been paid in full and have more than enough. I am fully satisfied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And Paul has been through a lifetime of ups and downs, just like all of us. But right now, in this moment, at the time he's writing this thank you note, he is feeling blessed and filled up. Have you ever felt that kind of relief at the end of a long, hard stretch of life? We're in the middle of winter right now. 
It's not so bad here in Colorado, but think what it's like on the East Coast. The harsh winter starts in November, and then there is snow with rain on top of that, and more snow, and more rain, and gray skies. And then all of a sudden, midway through March, things change. The winds shift, the skies clear up, and one morning there's warmth in the air. When this happens to me on that first day that I get the spring feeling, I stand in my driveway and just take a deep breath. And I say, I smell dirt. You know what I mean? That smell of the earth warming up. It tells you that the tide has turned. And then the crocuses are just there overnight. And the daffodils, bright yellow lights coming out of them. The world's turned a corner. Spring has sprung. And how do you feel on a day like that? Happy, blessed. Well, Paul is in this position right now. His long, hard stretch is he's been in prison in Ephesus. He depends on colleagues and friends to take care of him. In their day, you got nothing in prison unless your friends brought it to you or your family. They brought you your food. They brought you a blanket if you were cold. Otherwise, you didn't have those things. And so suddenly, an old friend from another region, Epaphroditus, shows up with a big financial gift and a warm blessing for the Apostle Paul. And Paul feels blessed. Because the truth is, and we're going to talk about a few truths about the blessed life. The first truth is that money can buy moments of happiness. It can. Paul's having one of these fantastic moments. And you, you know what it's like when spring comes after the long winter. You also know what it's like to receive a big check or a nice gift that you weren't expecting. Actually, I don't know if I know what that's like. I hear those stories. I know they're true. I'm not recalling one right now, but I am thinking about a person I know who's had this experience. It's Clark Griswold. Chevy Chase in Christmas, Christmas Vacation, he's got a lot of worries. I mean, he's worried about his Christmas tree and whether it's the, he can get the right one. And he's worried about the lights working on his house. But what's his really big worry? His bonus check from work, is it going to come through? Because he, he put a deposit down on a swimming pool for the family and he doesn't know if he's going to get it. And so when the bonus comes through, Clark and his whole family are happy. They're elated because money can buy moments of happiness. It can. But we all know these moments don't last. And that's a little side part of Paul's teaching here. He's saying, I don't want you to think I'm the sort of person that if the money hadn't come, I would grumble against God or feel like life was doing something bad to me. It's quite the opposite. I've been through years of up and downs, and I've learned one of life's most important lessons, and that's to be content in all circumstances. And that kind of spiritual strength is certainly a source of the blessed life, and it's a part of it. So verses 10 through 14 are a kind of summary that money can buy moments of happiness, that we don't have to crash when those moments are over. We can learn to live the whole spectrum of life with joy because the power of the Spirit is in us and Christ is giving us strength. It's good instruction for the blessed life. It's, it's a summary. It's 101. But Paul's not going to stop there. He's going to go on into something fresh, a fresh teaching in this very 
last section. And you know how sometimes when you get to the end of the story, there's something that happens that just makes sense of the feeling and the message and the mood of the story the whole way along? It's like when, when the intern Jim discovered at the end of his time with Ben what, what this, this conversation was really all about. And Philippians ends like that. We finally understand why Paul's so grateful, why the book is so positive, why it's so full of joy, why he so much loves this particular group. It's not just that they sent him money. It's not even the virtue of contentment that he has learned in his life. It's something better. Look at verse 15. You Philippians indeed know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. And you could circle that phrase, giving and receiving. That's what we're going to talk about for a minute because that's what powers the blessed life. It's this partnership of give and take that has blessed Paul and has produced this profit and this prosperity in this Philippian church. It's a kind of caring and generosity that has become a natural habit in their lives. And it goes way back to the beginning of their relationship. So the truth about partnerships and giving and receiving is, first of all, they're extremely rare. There's not much of it in our world. Paul writes in verse 15, in the early days of the gospel, he is referring to his work in Greece. He had previously been planting churches in Asia Minor. That's modern-day Turkey. And then he moved into Europe, which was brand-new territory. If the gospel message could take root in Greece, it would really be something. There were no churches there. There was no Jewish religion. And the Greeks had given the world her greatest cultures. The Philippian church was the first church on Greek soil. And Paul started this church. They were also the first and only church to continue to support this Pastor Paul as he moved out into other places in Europe and planted more churches. He sponsor, they sponsored him financially when he moved to Thessalonica. They continued the partnership when he moved into Corinth. These stories are told in Acts 16 and 17. And Paul's making a point for all of us that these partnerships of giving and receiving are very special. They're rare they're also extremely powerful. That's the second part of the truth about giving and receiving. It is a powerful, powerful partnership. It is productive. It produces things. It's strong. Not everything is productive. Earlier in the book, Paul talks about worry, for example. He says worry is not productive. It's a waste of time. It'll suck all the energy out of you. Try prayer instead. Now that'll produce some spiritual results. Prayer. Now he's talking about generosity, and he's teaching us how powerful that is. Produces blessing. Giving to someone else produces a profit that's larger than the gift itself. And so he states it in verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that accumulates where? To your account. He is excited because he's anticipating a big blessing for his friends. He wants them to know he's not in the business for the money. And that was a problem in the early church. Preachers made false promises to collect big offerings. 
Aren't we glad that doesn't happen anymore? But Paul's talking about a flow here of giving and receiving. And he's saying that's what leads to blessing. And he's looking forward into the future with hope for profit for the whole family. And he understood what Jesus taught about money. He understood it. That God designed the world to work on specific economic principles that are not natural to us, so we need to learn God's way. And I want to ask us now to put on our thinking caps and learn something new. Learn something new. Remember, the series is called Fresh. There are bad ideas in our world and in our heads about this topic. All kinds of things having to do with money and possessions. These bad ideas also apply to life's more precious gifts that we desperately need, like love or support or affection. And there's a false narrative that is driving our thinking on this topic. And the narrative goes like this. You're on your own and you need to take care of yourself. That's the false narrative. See, outside of God's economic principles, we are on our own. And we do have to trust in our own resources if we're going to make it. We feel alone. We hear a voice that's saying money will make you happy and secure. So get some, save some, spend more than you have. We're outside of God's economy and we feel alone. And so our money and our possessions and the experiences that they can buy become overly important to us. We need our things. We take trips we can't afford and we hear people talk about their exciting lives and we compare our life and it feels dull and it stirs up a desire in us that's coming out of this false narrative. And this lonely way of life seems natural to most people. There's an opportunity here to live supernaturally. If you're able to grow out of looking after yourself and instead make giving and receiving your main economic habit, you will be different and extremely blessed. Giving and receiving are partners in the flow of God's blessing. God made the world. And it does not operate on the power of giving and taking and spending and saving. It operates on the power of sharing. And God moves money and material possessions and the best things in life through people. These things do not fall out of the sky to the undeserving. They do not fall out of the sky to the deserving. They come into your life through the power of the Holy Spirit as the Spirit inspires generosity in people. And Jesus sums it up perfectly. Matthew 6, 38. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. Blessing flows through people. The word affluence comes from the Latin root that means to flow towards. We have another word related to money, currency. Sounds like the word current, like a river or a stream. One day my husband Dave and I figured out how long it takes a cup full of runoff water to make its way from a glacier on the Continental Divide, 20 miles from where we are right now, to the Big Thompson River in the Fairgrounds Park. 
We figured that at peak runoff time in June, it probably takes that cup of water 12 hours to make that journey. Now, how long does it take that same cup of water to make its way all the way to the Gulf of Mexico and back into the atmosphere and back into a snowstorm that finds its way to the glaciers on the Continental Divide 20 miles from where we live? I have no idea. (laughs) Didn't figure that one out. The flow of blessing in our lives is a God-made process. It's a natural process to God. It's an ordinary miracle to all of us, but we can be part of it. We can. And how few people decide to put their economic security in this miraculous process. Here's the last thing I want to say about the power of these partnerships. They're extremely doable. It's a shame that we don't make these habits a regular part of our life because we can. It's simple and you could start it up or rev it up in your life today. And here I want to get really practical. I'm going to give us three things that we can do starting today. Here's thing one. Make a decision. Every time I come in contact with anyone, I will give them a gift. Now this is doable. Because these gifts don't have to be monetary and they don't have to be elaborate. It can be a prayer. It can be a smile. It can be a warm hello. These are all blessings. And so are chocolates and spa treatments and oil changes and gift cards. I mean, it can be anything. Financial giving is also extremely doable. We don't give it enough credit. God set this up very, very simply. Moses first taught it to the Israelites and said, every time that you come to worship, bring a portion, a proportion of what you earned and bring it and give it as an offering. That's how you practice generosity. And then Jesus agreed with this principle. He said, yes, you should tithe. Participate in proportionate giving that you bring to the place where you get your spiritual care and support. You should do that. And you should also do the most, more important kinds of giving as well. Matters of the heart, like forgiving and being generous with love and those kinds of things. And then the Apostle Paul sums it up to the Corinthians, saying on the first day of every week, set aside something that you earned and bring it when you come to worship. And the amount that you bring depends on how much the Lord has helped you earn. It is a compassionate rule of life that God set down thousands of years ago and continues to invite us to participate in. And if you've never tried it, I encourage you to do that. Okay, here's thing two. Thing two. Gratefully receive all the gifts life has to offer. Gratefully receive. This is very simple, but giving and receiving doesn't work without receivers. So we can't just be givers pushing stuff out into the kingdom of God, we also need to be open-hearted and soft and willing to receive and humble ourselves or just willing to be grateful in our attitudes and receive things from nature like sunshine and the gift of the pets in our home, those kinds of things. So we need to be good receivers and gratefully receive. That's thing two. Thing three is to make it a habit to give and receive life's most precious blessings of love, appreciation, affection, and care. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said you should do the the, the the things that are even more important than tithing. 
We got to do both of these things. The best blessings are non-material. Sharing them is very doable. It's the sort of thing that Paul did when he wrote the four chapter thank you note to the Philippians. Where would we be without the verse? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's a gift that keeps on giving, right? Paul gave it. He took the time. Non-material, huge blessing to the world. If you're good at giving, thank you. You create blessing, and that is no small thing. We're all sitting and basking in it. And if you want to grow in the grace of giving, you can start the flow of giving today. What it really takes is a shift in our mindset from that false narrative to the truth, and in establishing some of these simple habits and making it part of the engine of our life. It takes some faith and some hope to change those narratives, but we can do it. And then God will fully supply every need of yours. That's the end of the chapter. That's the last truth I want to voice out is God will fully supply your needs. And you may be saying, well, Katie, that is a nice theory, but how do I know? Is it really true? Will God really satisfy my material needs? My needs for life's most precious things that I'm so hungry for? I don't feel the Holy Spirit's strength in me. When I give, does a profit really accumulate to my account? Really? Where is it? Is this true? Well, all I know is what it takes to find out, and that's to give. That's to give. Start the flow of blessing. And then one day before long, I suspect you will have a fresh blessing flow into your life. And when that happens, then you can say with confidence, I know that's true because it happened to me. This has happened in the life of a very important ministry friend and partner of mine. Her name is Linda Turkovich. I'm going to ask Linda to come out and join me here right now. I met Linda four years ago, and Linda said to me, Katie, I'm a retired children's pastor, and I want to help you in any way I can. And she began volunteering heroically at Crossroads. And I want Linda to share with us a bit of her faith story. Let's welcome Linda. Thank you, Katie. All of my life, I have been showered with God's blessings, even when I didn't realize it. When I was eight years old, I got the disease polio, and I was paralyzed from the neck down. My lungs were so compromised that I had to breathe on, I mean, I had to breathe on a respirator because I couldn't breathe on my own. People thought I would surely die, but I lived because God was with me even then, filling me with the will to live for him. As a child with disabilities, I grew up with shame, embarrassment, and some bullying. I learned to walk on braces and crutches successfully because I am one stubborn German-Irish gal. And also because God helps people even when they don't know how much they need it. I married and had two beautiful girls, Michelle and Monique, with a man that I felt absolutely adored me, and it ended in abuse. 
He left us one morning and we did not hear from him for 17 years. During this time, I built a career in hospital administration. On the way home one evening from a medical meeting, while riding passenger in a car, I was not driving. We were struck by another vehicle directly on my side. Now I found myself back in the hospital again with more serious injuries, and I faced new physical challenges. During this time, God really blessed me with Christian brothers and sisters. They came alongside me, helped me get to work every day, and then they helped me take care of the girls. Then Jesus grabbed a hold of me. Um, during a session at a women's conference, while I was put in the honeymoon suite all by myself by mistake. That's another whole story. But God knew as I surrendered my life to him that night that I needed to be alone with him. God took this stubborn German Irish gal and he helped her to see her need for a savior. I spent that first night in the honeymoon suite just singing the songs that I'd learned in Sunday school as a child and reading a Bible that I brought with me. I found John 3:16, And to this day, I read that verse with not my name inserted. For God so loved Linda. God was blessing me so much that I decided I wanted to share that blessing with others for the rest of my life. But how? Well, I went back to college, and this time in biblical studies, theology, and Christian education. I became the youth director at my church, and God blessed me with spiritual mentors. My pastor asked me one day, have you ever thought of working with children? And he pointed out to me that my wheelchair was the same height as most of those children. He shared a dream with me that he had had of a large group of children moving along the walkway at the church. You couldn't see their leader because she was leading them along in the middle of that throng in her wheelchair. Quite a visual. I felt called to children's ministry and spent 40 years serving together with Jesus and loving on his kids. Eventually, it was becoming unsafe for me to live alone, so my daughters staged an intervention, which led to me giving the church a year's notice and then heading off to Colorado to be with Michelle and Julia. I was trusting that God was going to bless me in this next adventure in my life. It was hard, and it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I missed my family in Arizona. I missed my church family. And retire? Are you kidding me? Remember, I always wanted to serve the Lord for the rest of my life. So I started attending Crossroads Church with Michelle and Julia, this being their home church. And Pastor Katie <laughs> invited me to come on staff to serve in children's ministry. 
I said, yes. I was so hungry to serve. There was no way I was going to say no. I started on the children's team, and now God has me on a brand new adventure working with women, Karen Support Ministries, Stevens Ministry, and now a new ministry called Crescendo for seniors and retired people who want to be in community and want to bless others with our gifts. God keeps me proving that he is not finished with me yet. I have a life verse, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There are days when, I'll tell you, I wake up very tired in the morning, and I'm not sure I can make it on my own strength from that bed to this wheelchair all by myself. So God and I have a long talk. (laughs) We even giggle and then lots of smiles and we do it together and we do just fine. Just like we always have on our journey in this life together. Looking back over this journey, I know without a doubt that God has truly blessed me even through all of these challenges And through Christ, I can do all things, but we're not done yet. Thank you for listening to my story. You can stay standing because I'm going to close this part of, of our worship right now and we're going to pray together and Linda will join me in praying for you. It is true that God moves blessings through people and between us in our lives. And then that's how God satisfies all of our needs. Do you have an unmet need today? Think about what that is. Perhaps it is a job or a home. Perhaps it is friendship or affection, appreciation. What about affirmation? Maybe you have been doing your level best at a ridiculously difficult task. And that's what you need in your life. What blessing do you really want Jesus to put into your lap now? Have that in mind. And then let's bow our heads and pray together. And you could say in your heart, God, starting today, I will give. I will give the gift of. And I encourage you to think about that thing that you need most, the place where you have an unsatisfied need. And make some kind of a commitment to God and just picture yourself giving that very thing away to someone else who needs it. You could say, God, I will give away unconditional love. I'll give away some respect. I'm going to share what I have financially. Maybe you need something serious like healing, and you could say, Today, God, I dedicate my prayers for healing to someone who is sick. And then tomorrow, when you wake up and before you leave your house, just think about how you can apply the giving and the receiving on that very day and say, God, help me do it. Help me be a great giver. 
And God's saying, I will. And I will also satisfy all of your needs out of my riches because I love and care for you. Lord, our God, thank you for satisfying our needs through generosity rather than earning and keeping and taking. God, hear our prayer and give us the strength of your Holy Spirit. We pray, amen.